Harry S. Truman once said, you want a friend in Washington? Get a dog. And I've heard a Queensland federal politician say something similar about Australian politics. You see, if we treat politics like waging war on an opposition, then the thirst to win becomes all-consuming and then friendships become a commodity, a means to an end. And today, when friendship is more about status, more about followers and friends and more about likes and perceived self-worth, then life becomes a facade and we hide our true selves for fear of how others might see us. But is that really all there is to friendship? Someone to appease loneliness and support our ambitions? Or could friendship be so much more? Let me pray. Jesus, as we take time to reflect on the topic of friendship, and as we have been reflecting already in the service this morning about your friendship with us, your love for us, Lord, would it wash over us afresh anew. May we be confronted by your love. May we be encouraged by your love. And may it transform the way that we live so that we live lives well in a desire to honour you. Amen. Well, today we begin a short series of over three weeks where we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about friendship. Next week, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about families. And then in the final week, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about failure. And while these will not be exhaustive reflections, our hope and prayer is that this series will help us all to live life well. So how do we understand friendship? And and what does that benchmark look like in what good friendship is? Well, there are a raft of TV shows that depict friendship in various forms. Shows like Friends, Cheers and Big Bang Theory all depict friendship that defies reality. The actors um, act out scripts that are there for laughs and ratings that in real life would end friendships in an instance. Perhaps we're better off looking at social media for our friends. But there we find friendship that is based on followers and likes and and we portray ourselves in such a way that we want to show ourselves in the best possible light to perpetuate the myth. Because if we don't, friendships can tarnish and be lost. And with it, our sense of self-worth. It was interesting during my time in youth ministry, I found it frustrating when, when friendships were treated as holding patterns until romantic relationships were found. Then those friends were jettisoned for romance. And when the romance ended, the singles would seek out their old friends again and wonder why their gestures were treated with suspicion. And so while it might look cute to be inspired by fun quotes about friendship, especially when they involve chocolate, if we want deeper, richer friendship, then perhaps we need to look at the creator of relationships. 
The Bible teaches us that um, friendship uh, is in, uh, intimately involved with uh, an act of love that can be as deep and at times even deeper than a romantic or even a sexual love. Love in friendship that is rich, that is robust. In the life of Jesus, we see friendship develop and deepen. Jesus has the crowds that surround him and come to hear him. And they can be fickle. One minute, they're fans. And the next minute, they're foes. Then Jesus has the disciples, a large group that would connect and and follow Jesus for periods of time all throughout his whole, whole ministry. Within this group, there were friends. We know some of them, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, people that knew Jesus, that grew close to Jesus, would spend time with him, where Jesus could relax with them, be off the clock and just be with them. No need to perform, no need to be on duty. Within this group of friends, there was recognition that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, but he was also a friend. Jesus knew that he was safe staying with friends when he was visiting Jerusalem. Within the discipleship, there was a close-knit group of 12 followers. But within the 12, there were three, Peter, James and John. And within the three, it was John who, based on biblical evidence, was Jesus' closest friend. We see the special relationship when Jesus is transfigured, as recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke, that Peter, James and John are invited to witness this event. And at the point of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus looks down from the cross at his mother, looking up at him, and next to her, the disciple John. In John chapter 19, 26, we read, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus taught about loving friendship. In John 15, 12 to 15 that we heard earlier, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends since since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. When we look at Jesus' relationship with his friends, we discover a few things about it. Jesus did not have the same friendship with all the uh, did not have the same friendship with all his disciples in the same way. Some were closer to Jesus than others were. And while Mary, Martha, and Lazarus may not have been a part of the twelve, they were still Jesus' friends. Jesus loved them all equally, but Jesus did not treat them all the same. 
Some were uh, relationally closer to Jesus than others and had additional opportunities or responsibilities than others. But Jesus loved them all. Did they love Jesus as much as Jesus loved them? No. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus' friends didn't love him, didn't care about him, um, that they, they cared about him a lot. But compared to the love that Jesus showed them, Jesus' love was perfect, reliable, consistent, constant. Jesus' friendship was faithful towards them, even when they were not faithful towards him. Today, we can sometimes believe that unless a friend loves us and cares about us in the same way and to the same measure that we love them, unless a friend treats us as well as we treat them, then they're not really friends. We believe friendship needs to be defined by equality. And while true friendship requires reciprocity, it needs to go two ways. What we see in the relationship between Jesus and his first friends is not that of equality. When we set equality as the measure or the standard or the benchmark for friendship, for true friendship, then we treat that friendship as a transaction. That unless I get the same in return, I feel shortchanged. Jesus teaches us by example that while true friendship goes both ways, It is not necessarily equal, and that is okay. Friendship is also a gift from God to teach us about love. Augustine believed that particular friendships are gifts from God to teach us love and that they are a sign or a call by which God calls us and draws us towards love of all um, humanity. In learning to care for a friend, we learn what it means to care for other human beings. Once again, Jesus teaches his first friends that they are to love each other. That in sacrificial love that, um, that is expressed in friendship, we grow to under, an understanding of God's love for us and that God demonstrates his love to others. This is my commandment, love each other. There is a friendship that we also caught a glimpse of in our kids' spot this morning. The relationship between David and Jonathan. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18 through to chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 18 through to 20. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, I'm sure you'll still be able to follow. In 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4, we read this. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow and belt. It's been suggested that these actions of Jonathan demonstrated that Jonathan realised 
that he would not inherit his father's throne, but rather it would, that David would be the next king of Israel. After, day, uh, after Saul's attitude changed towards David, we read in 1 Samuel 19 verses 1 to 4, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me. I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. Then later, in 1 Samuel 20, we read that David was on the run from Saul and there was tensions rising between uh, Jonathan, who wanted to believe the best in his father, but was also prepared to risk his life for David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 13 to 17, we read this. But if he, that is referring to Saul, is angry and wants you, referring to David killed, may the Lord strike me, Jonathan, and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Then skipping down to verses 30 to 33, Saul um, boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know what you, that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he put, be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last Jonathan realised that his father was really determined to kill David. Knowing that David's life was in danger, he had him, um, had him flee. And Jonathan goes to David to warn him to say their goodbyes. And in the second half of verses 41 and 42, we read, Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, 
for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. And later, when John, uh, David learned of Jonathan's death, he wrote a song about Saul and Jonathan. And to honour Jonathan, he said these things in 2 Samuel 1, chapters, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of a woman. At the time when women were not treated as equal as men, the deep love of friendship between two men, such as that between David and Jonathan, would have been seen as deeper than the love of a woman. So once again, we see evident in the friendship between David and Jonathan that friendship is reciprocal or mutual, an expression of love. Even though it need not be equal, there needs to be genuine desire for friendship and the giving and receiving of love towards one another. But also friendship is prepared to challenge perceptions. We see Jonathan being prepared to challenge David's perceptions, David's understanding, David's concerns about Saul. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's the case. But... To make sure, let me go and check. Friendship is being prepared to stand up for the other, even when it costs. Jonathan was prepared to risk his life because of his love for his friend, David. Jonathan could have easily put his own personal ambition ahead of friendship. After all, there was power and authority and the potential to be the next king of Israel if Jonathan was prepared to sacrifice friendship for personal advancement. But his friendship was more important than claiming the throne to the point that he would go against to betray his own flesh and blood as far as Saul believed for this friendship. In Proverbs we read in Proverbs 27, verse 6, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses of an enemy. And later, in verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's the sort of friendship that David and Jonathan had towards one another. But we also recognise that throughout history and even for us today, we recognise that we are broken people and that we will fail in our friendships. And sometimes those failures can come at great cost, whether we're responsible for that failure or on the receiving end of that failure of the friendship. With a sense of resignation, C.S. Lewis wrote that the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and anxieties of love 
is that in hell. In this life, we will face challenges and the blessings of friendship. I've even seen, um, I guess that's why we read in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal. But when there's that betrayal of friendship, it cuts deep. But the act of a true friend is not to go there yourself. When someone betrays your friendship, you don't react as a response to that. I've seen the depths of hurt caused when friendships falter. Yet even when one lets um, someone else down so painfully, the one hurt doesn't get even, doesn't try and pay the other one back. And even years later, the pain might not have fully healed. But for the friendship to be restored as it once was may not happen. But the desire for the best for the other remains. It's been said that the most fatal disease of friendship is gradual decay. Friendship takes risks and steps of faith that the other will prove themselves faithful in friendship. It is tried. It is tested. In my life, and I suspect in yours as well, you've experienced friendship in various forms. Some have described relationships in three different ways. A reason, a season, and a lifetime friend. Reason relationships are generally shorter in duration and tend to have a focus on outcomes as a result of the relationship. We may not go into the relationship with that in mind, that it's, that it's a reason relationship, and we may even feel hurt when that relationship ends for a variety of reasons. But when we take time, over time, to reflect on that relationship, we may discover the reasons behind the significance of that relationship in our life. Others have been described as season relationships, a relationship that comes together for a period of time, a season in our life. Perhaps as parents of children, you develop friendships with another family, with children of a similar age. But when the children leave school, the friendship between the parents dissipates over time. Then there are those lifetime friendships that you share. While the frequency of getting together might change, when you do get together, it's just like picking up where you left off. They're often relaxed in nature in these relationships. And while there can be seasons of intentionality, um, hard effort that needs to be put into it, and even times where they can be quite challenging, over time, they are marked by a commitment and a resilience and a mutual care of concern and love. But isn't it wonderful that we have a faithful, lifelong friend in Jesus who gifts us with friendship so that we can learn how to love and about this love that we are gifted with through friendship in all its form, we can also demonstrate this love to the world around us. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have a friend in you, that you love us deeply, that you love us and you know us. 
You know us inside out. You know the secrets that we keep deep down inside. And that in this love that you have for us, you want the absolute best for us. Thank you that you are our Lord. Thank you that you are our Saviour. But thank you that you are also our friend. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us in our relationships, our earthly relationships with friends, whether they're for a short period of time or a lifetime, that we would model the qualities of loyalty, of sacrifice, of wanting the absolute best for the other, and that we would commit to these relationships out of a desire to honour you, and that we can learn what it means to love and be loved through friendships. And we thank you for that. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, a few questions for us today. What friendships are you most thankful for and how might you honour and celebrate that friendship? In what ways can you grow in your love for your friend or your friends? And what does it mean for you to have Jesus call you his friend? And lastly, how can you demonstrate your friendship with Jesus? You may not choose to respond to all of those. You might just pick one of those out that just resonates a little bit more with you this morning. But I encourage you to take this time to reflect and to do business with God. God bless you. 